Good morning. Matthew 26, 17 through 30. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it's written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he'd not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi? Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they'd sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I am told that the word epic is overused, but I'm just here to tell you I don't care. I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it several different times to describe this event because the event was epic. It was. I mean, think about this event. The disciples are walking with Jesus day after day and have been for three years now. And it's likely that they'd experienced uh, two Passover meals with him before this one. We don't know for sure, but it's likely. What is even more likely is that they had grown up experiencing Passover meals. As members of Jewish families, they would have done this once a year. And what happened on that occasion is they had certain traditions, and among those traditions was to use hyssop to clean the house of anything that might be associated with yeast. Yeast in the bread, remember the Passover story from Exodus, unleavened bread. There were all kinds of traditions around Passover as they remembered back God's redemptive acts for Israel. And one of the things that would happen at Passover is the father, at a certain point in the meal, would raise up the bread and break it. And Jesus, symbolic of that Jewish father, with his disciple, raises up the bread and breaks it. And he says, this is my body. What? He's gone off script. He's not following the tradition. 
We've never heard such words before. What could it mean? And then to add to the complexity of it, he lifts up the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. My blood. I wonder what they thought that first time. What's he talking about? They'd heard him predict his death and maybe they were associating it with that. But these words were new. It was an epic moment. Everything had led to this moment. Every step along the way had brought them to this moment. And it redefined for them who they were in light of this master that they followed. The Gospels are, are full of epic moments, no doubt. But did you ever notice how those big moments in our lives are frequently not understood except in retrospect? As we look back, we realize, oh, that's what that was about. That's why she said this. That's why he did. I understand now. In much the same way, the rest of the New Testament is a retrospective look at huge moments like these. And especially this moment and the moments that followed this moment to the cross. The disciples, the 12 of them, four of them we call the Gospels, and others who were disciples repeated these stories and reflected on these, including Paul and the writer of the book of Hebrews. And they give us a retrospective analysis of this epic moment. And what is it? Three words. As the writers look back, the word identification becomes very important. Well, the disciples knew that at some level, even at this point in the journey. They knew he had identified with them as their master and their savior. They knew he had walked with them through the dusty hills and valleys of Galilee. They understood that he was with them every step of the way. As a matter of fact, they understood he walked in their shoes, experienced the same pain they experienced and hunger and thirst in the same way they did. They understood that, but what they could not see or understand fully at this point was the way in which this identification would function for them and for all people in the future. What they couldn't understand at this point was the way in which he, Jesus Christ, was God in the flesh. That he, Jesus Christ, was not just a Messiah, but he was truly God and truly human. And when he walked with them and talked with them and taught them and ate with them and drank with them and suffered with them, he was suffering as God in the flesh. An inconceivable idea to their minds that God would truly be among them in that way. What they could not yet see was the way in which this identification was not just walking with them, but going to the cross for them. So he identified with their sins in his body on the tree. They understood he identified, but not to that depth. There's another word that the writers of the New Testament look back and help us to understand. This epic moment and the ones leading up to this, and especially the 
crucifixion and resurrection were about sacrifice. See, again, the disciples could understand sacrifice. As a matter of fact, Jesus had said he was the good shepherd. He would even said, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. They understood good shepherds, and they understood that Jesus was one. He walked with them. He led them like a good shepherd leads his flock. He was always there for them, but they could not understand the extent to which this good shepherd would sacrifice for them. It was inconceivable. As a matter of fact, you hear it in the words of Peter. No, this is not going to happen, Lord. When Jesus predicted his death. It can't happen. Inconceivable because they didn't understand that sacrifice literally meant that he would die for them and his blood would be the sacrifice. They couldn't see. They couldn't understand. Only in retrospect did they. That's why the writer of the book of Hebrews puts it this way. He says, on that day, <laughs> the day of his atonement, Jesus, like the high priest, once a year went into the Holy of Holies. Jesus went into the Holy of Holies. But really what was happening on that day, he said, is he was entering into the eternal Holy of Holies. You saw it on the cross, but something else was going on behind the scenes. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was entering the Holy Holies. And he was sprinkling blood on the altar. And the blood was not animals, it was his The sacrifice was his. And no longer is the blood of animals for sacrifices necessary. It's obsolete. Now Jesus Christ, the once for all sacrifice for human sin, has walked through the Holy of Holies. The Day of Atonement has taken place. It's finished. They, yeah, they understood sacrifice, but not that sacrifice yet. It's only in retrospect that they can see this epic moment for what it was. There's something else the writers of the New Testament tell us. It's not only that he identified with us. As a matter of fact, he identified with us in our sins but did not sin himself. So he understands our suffering. He not only sacrificed for us, but he gave us redemption. Complete and full redemption. The writers look back and they say, this is what those epic moments were all about. And what does that redemption mean? Well, we know redemption, just as a baseline definition, means to rescue. It means to rescue from something or for some, from someone. And it's absolutely certain in my mind that the disciples thought Jesus the Messiah was going to rescue them from the heavy hand of Rome. It was part of this grand tradition of the Messiah to redeem Israel, to rescue Israel from its oppressors, and to reestablish the kingdom of God on earth. I'm sure they were expecting that. And Jesus did something entirely different and predicted something entirely different in this epic moment. He said, in effect, the rescue. The rescue that I'm giving you is a rescue from sin. Not from oppressors, not from people outside you, but from the sin that grips your heart. Or to put it in the words of Paul, the law of sin and death that you're enslaved to. The writer said Jesus came to redeem us, to rescue us 
from that slavery. That's why Paul says once we were dead in our transgressions and in sin, but now we have been made alive. We've been rescued by Christ from the law of sin and death. Thanks be to God. This epic moment re represented redemption, and that redemption is rescue. But that redemption is something else. It's reconciliation. I'm, I'm about uh, early tomorrow morning to leave uh, this country and to travel to Pakistan, for those of you who may or may not know. And I'm very much looking forward to my trip. I don't know what I'm going to encounter. I don't know what my opportunities are going to be to speak the gospel, except that I have four speaking engagements. I get that. I just don't know what else is going to happen. But I am convinced of this. Everywhere I've traveled in my life, this seems to be universally true. Everybody intuitively seems to know that somehow they need to be reconciled to God. Somehow they're not good enough. Somehow they need to be united and reconciled with God. And there's so many various stories about how that might happen in different cultures. But in this story, we see the writers of the New Testament saying, you have been reconciled, united with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. You couldn't climb your way up the ladder of redemption. You're just not going to get there. But you've been reconciled through his blood. That is grace. Amazing grace. Paul put it this way in Colossians chapter 1. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him in Jesus Christ. And through him to reconcile all things to himself. Whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. God comes to redeem us, and it's not just rescue, it's reconciliation, oneness with God. But that redemption is not just rescue and reconciliation, it's recreation. I love the verse. Actually, if I have a verse as my favorite, this is it. It's 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. Think of Isaiah 53. The suffering servant who's under the hand of God's wrath for sin. He became sin for us so that in him, through him, we might become the righteousness of God. Because of Jesus Christ, who took my sin and became sin for me, I am now, because I love him, the righteousness of God. That's impossible. And I believe it. It's the impossible message of grace that we who are full of sin are reconciled to Jesus Christ through his blood, and we have become a new creation in Christ Jesus.
As Paul says in another place, everything was once old has now become new. You know, there's something else to this new creation that sometimes we forget. What has happened now is that we have been renewed and recreated in Christ. What will happen in the eschaton, the end, is that all things will be remade. There's coming a time because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that everything will be made new. Romans chapter 8, Paul anticipates this. He says the creation groans under the weight of sin and longs for the release and the freedom that comes through the sons of God. But that's just the anticipation. You want to see it somewhere else? Go to the end of the story. By the way, we win at the end of the story. You know that? It's a book of Revelation. God says it's over. And at the end of the story, God says because of the blood of the Lamb, who is at the center of the throne. Everything is going to be made new. We're going to have a new heaven and a new earth, and everything will be restored. And sometimes I refer to it as paradise lost. But that's a little bit short of the mark. It's better than the restoration of paradise. It's absolute perfection and eternal life with God like creation has never seen. God says, I'm going to make everything new. I hate sin because it's always annoying me in my life and in the life of others. And I hate sickness because I always want to be well. And I despise death. And all three of those things will be gone forever. He'll make everything new. Wow. If that doesn't make your heart race, you don't have a spiritual pulse. That's the grace of Jesus Christ. And this epic moment that we talk about, we recreate. First Sunday of every month. We don't call it the Last Supper, we call it the Lord's Supper. And what should we do when we approach this table, the Lord's Supper? I think we should do three things. We should look backward. We should remember what Christ has done. That's backward. We should look further back than that and remember that Christ in his body on the tree brought to fulfillment everything of the law and the prophets and the Old Testament became the Pascal Lamb of God. He put his final stamp on all of that and said, it's finished in me. We look back and we remember that. But at the same time, we ought to look inward. Like Paul says, before you come before this table, examine your heart. We look inward through confession of sins, realizing that our forgiveness comes through Christ and Christ alone. And we look inward to recommit ourselves once more to the confession of our faith that we are Christ followers for all our lives. And this we believe more than life itself. We look inward in this moment. But I think we also look forward. We look backward, we look inward, and we look forward. We look forward to that day.
when the resurrection power of Jesus Christ is not just the new birth in our hearts by faith, but the resurrection power of Jesus Christ raises us from the dead to live eternally with our Lord and Savior. If you were baptized into his death, Paul says, you're also going to be raised in newness of life. You're going to live forever. Eventually, God's going to write the final chapter. And we will live with him in a kingdom that has no end. There's so many ways to tell the story of the good news. But this one, my goodness, what an epic moment. What an epic story. Embrace it by faith. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord, you have been so kind to us. You've been uh, merciful to us. You've blessed us abundantly. But you've especially given us grace and mercy in Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the stories of grace. These encounters on the way to the cross that we have seen, we thank you for the historicity of them, that they really happened. And we thank you for the truth that we derive from them. But Lord, truth is just some sort of esoteric thing out there when it's not attached to, to reality. And so, Lord, in, instead of just speaking about the truth, grace and love and mercy of forgiveness, you just stepped into it and you demonstrated it. You said, here is love. Not that you should love God, but that God should love you and give his son as an atoning sacrifice for your sins. And then you did it. You left it unambiguously clear what you meant. You helped us to understand love and living color. Lord, you identified with who we are. You know our weakness, our weakness to sin, but you know that you never gave in to sin, and so you stand in our place. You sacrificed yourself for us completely, and you offered us redemption. And so as we approach this table this morning, Lord, we pray that you will help us to look backward and remember to look inward and confess and believe once again and to look forward in anticipation of the day when you will make everything new and until that day Lord give us grace and mercy and joy as we wait for you through Christ our Lord we pray